You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to those who are watching online. In fact, if you're home watching online, we encourage you to take some time and get some bread and some juice. We'll be taking communion here at the end of the sermon and then certainly... Good morning and welcome to those from the Life Center today as well. There's a great love story in the Bible. And I know I just lost 40% of the audience. It's, it's the book of Ruth. It's like, a, um, it's like a Hallmark Christmas movie except with the plot. And, um, and good acting. So let's go real quick to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book in, if that helps a little bit. It's right after the book of Judges, right before the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Ruth's a very unique book, uh, really for two reasons, well, several reasons, two primarily. It's the only Old Testament book named after a non-Israelite. Ruth was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile. She was a Moabite, and we will see that soon. Another reason it's unique, it's named after a woman. And only one of the book in all the Bible, the book of Esther, is named for a woman. And so Ruth is a very unique book. And we'll see that uniqueness unfold. Let's start in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Ruth 1, 1. And I would encourage you to keep your Bible open. This will be the book that we're in this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now, we would read that as Chilion, but it's in Hebrew, Kilion. Although if you are ever at a place where you're thinking about giving a name to your son... Chilion's a really cool name, just, just for you. I would submit that to you. They were Ephratites from the tribe of Ephraim, from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died so that the, the woman was left, so Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, meaning back in Israel, back in Judah. The Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So you have these, these three ladies here in this story, Naomi and, and Orpah and, and Ruth, and they're going to make the journey from, from Moab back to Bethlehem. Uh, just kind of interesting in, in this story, the, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Uh, Beth always means house in, in the scripture. Uh, Beth Shemesh is the house of of the sun, Bethel is the house of God, Bethlehem, the house of bread. So they're going to make the journey from Moab to, to Bethlehem. It's about a 50-mile trek, which probably doesn't sound too bad, except remember this was before the days of four-wheel drive trucks. This is three women hiking with everything that they have 
from Moab to, to Bethlehem. So, so map nerds, and I'm, I'm one of you. Wait, wake up for just a little bit. I want you to see this satellite photo that was taken two years ago, November uh, 2018, of the Dead Sea. Now, I want you to see something um, pretty fascinating to me. That is not an enhanced picture at all. When you look at the Dead Sea from, from satellite, it actually looks blue. So you kind of see that the southern portion of the Dead Sea there, the, the beautiful blues and the beautiful whites, that's the salt from the Dead Sea. And, and the blue is there because the reflection of all the minerals there, especially in the southern part of, of the Dead Sea. So on the north part of that picture is the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea. Then you have the Dead Sea. Then the southern part of the Dead Sea is where a lot of the minerals and the salt really begin to collect. And right to the south of that, just for interest, is Sodom and Gomorrah. So let me put now the, the names on, on top of that map. And so you see on the east side of the Dead Sea, that is the, the region of Moab. So that is where Elimelech and Naomi and uh, um, Orpah and, and Ruth and their husbands, that's where they were living. But so now it's just the daughters-in-law and it's, and it's Ruth, and, and, or excuse me, it's Naomi, and they're going to need to go to Bethlehem. So to get there, you have to go around the Dead Sea. You would have to cross the Jordan River. Uh, that is mountainous area. It is, 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 it is desert. It would be blazing hot in the daytime. It would be freezing cold in the evening time, at nighttime. And then they have to go to Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem is right south of Jerusalem. And anytime you probably know this, anytime you go to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem. And so they were traveling up toward Jerusalem and finding Bethlehem, which is right there south of Jerusalem. It was an arduous journey. In fact, somewhere along this journey, Orpah decides that she wants to turn back and go to Moab. So it's just going to be Naomi and Ruth. So the journey is from Moab to Bethlehem, but it's much deeper than that. They are traveling from a place of judgment called Moab to a place of plenty or a place of promise there in, in Bethlehem. The, the Moabites had been oppressing Israel for the previous 18 years up to this point. In fact, Ehud, the mighty judge, had just killed Eglon. And so now the Moabites had gone back to the other side of the Dead Sea. But for 18 years, they had been oppressing Israel as slaves. In fact, Deuteronomy 23, the law says, do not associate with Moabites. Don't have a friendship with them. In fact, the law said in Deuteronomy 23, even to the 10th generation, have nothing to do with the Moabites. So don't miss this. God is about to welcome into his land a stranger, an enemy, to the land that he has promised to his people. He has brought Ruth from a land of judgment and is now bringing her and Naomi to a land of promise. God is going to welcome the stranger to his place. So three things I want you to see about Ruth this morning. One, she's a stranger from a forbidden place. Uh, Moab was a strange place with strange religion. They, they were pagan people. They worshiped the god Chemosh. And Chemosh was a god that, that they thought demanded human sacrifice. And so the, the Moabites would, would offer human blood, human sacrifice to their Moabite god Chemosh. So she's a stranger from this forbidden land of, of Moab. And now she's going to become an outcast among an unknown people. So she's not Jewish. She's not from Judah. She's not from Bethlehem. She is a Moabite. And she's going to come among the people that she does not know there in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a very small town. 
Um, it would be 1,100 years later that Christ would be born in that very small town of Bethlehem. So she was coming as an outcast among a very unknown people. But I want you to see this also. She was a very unsettled person with a very unfulfilled purpose. She, she is moving from a land that she knew. And now how unsettling would this be to move to a brand new place? Your, your husband is gone. You have no kids. The only one that you know is your mother-in-law. So you're traveling with her. This is new place. You're a widow. You have no kids. You have no job. But God is going to redeem her through his own person. Let me say that again. He's going to redeem the outcast through his own person. Ruth chapter 2 We'll pick up the narrative here, verse 1 and verse 3, verse 1 through verse 3. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened... (laughs) She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, what a coincidence. Just so happens she goes to the field that belongs to this worthy man, Boaz. This is how all love stories work. Jen and I are watching a chick flick together. And I'm about to turn to her and say... That would never happen. I look to her and she's in tears, (laughs) weeping over this thing that would never happen. That never happens in real life. Babe, what we just saw on TV never, never, ever happens. And here, she just so happens to be in this field. But that's exactly what is happening here. It's not fictional. This is the sovereignty of God providing for his plan to be accomplished. This is a great story. Let's pick it up here in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Probably something just like that. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge, the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except just for a, for a short rest. And so you, you, you see what's happening here, don't you? It's getting really good. Verse 5, Boaz sees her and says, who's that over there? Ruth catches his, his eye. The foreman replies there in verse 6, well, she's a Moabite. In other words, she's, she's from a forbidden place. She's an outcast. But don't miss this. Boaz takes the initiative. Boaz takes the first step toward the outcast. I'm shouting because it's important. Ruth 2, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, which is really just a term of endearment, do not go to glean in another field. Do not leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and, and you go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So that's Boaz's pickup line. Verse, verse 13, we see how, 
how Ruth now responds. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, speaking to Boaz, my Lord, for you have comforted me and you have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and and eat some bread and, and dip your morsels in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So this is, this is the first date. It, it's bread and grains. It's not froyo and it's not chips and queso from Fuego, but it, it, it's a good start. And you can tell it's a first date. <laughs> You can tell it's the first date because Ruth leaves some things on her plate. Oh, I just can't eat another bite. I'm just so, so full. Brothers, let me tell you, after the engagement, they clean their plate. They eat everything on their plate. But she leaves just a little bit. You know, I just can't, I can't eat another bite. (laughs) I might get some emails on, on that one. And I hope I can have lunch today myself at my own house. Now, the matchmaker, mother-in-law, Naomi, she gets involved. So let's pick it up here in in chapter 2. And let's pick it up in verse 17. So she gleaned, this is still Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah or about five gallons of of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Verse 19. And her mother-in-law, so this is Naomi, said to her, where did you glean today? And and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So this is the crux of it all here, Highland. Because amidst all the trappings of this story and what goes on, we we see here Naomi is realizing that Boaz is, is a kinsman redeemer who has showed great kindness to Ruth. Kinsman means means family, means one of us, it means belonging to us. A redeemer, to redeem means to rescue the helpless, it means to erase or clear the debt. And the word redemption, the word redeem is used over 20 times in this short little four chapter book. It is the primary theme of the book of of Ruth, redemption to redeem. And God is showing his plan to redeem Ruth, an outcast through this redeemer named Boaz. Boaz is a relative who is able to redeem. He is a relative who is able to save Ruth in her situation and he's going to. After a lot of drama that happens in chapter 3, because every good love story has a lot of drama, he's going to become Ruth's kinsman redeemer. What is that? Three things. The kinsman redeemer, one, seeks out the outcast as his family. The kinsman redeemer is going to seek out, remember, take the first step, initiate moving toward the outcast to bring in as his own family. There were all kinds of other people in the field that day. There were numerous other people. There were servants in the field that day. But Boaz said, who is that one? 
And he takes the initiative to come to Ruth and he seeks the outcast to bring her into his own family. Here's the second thing a kinsman redeemer does. The kinsman redeemer saves the outcast from harm. It was common for women in the field to be violated, to be abused, to be assaulted or insulted even by the men. This is why Boaz tells Ruth back in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, I have told the men, I've instructed the men, they will not touch you. In fact, just the opposite, they will protect you. So Boaz becomes her shield, her advocate, her defense. Thirdly, the kinsman redeemer hosts the outcast at his table. Did you catch that in verse 9? Whenever you're thirsty... Get a drink of water that my men will provide for you. Then in verse 14, he invites her to to eat bread at his table with these interesting words. Come here and eat. You see, Boaz steps up, Highland. He says, I have the desire to redeem. I have the authority. He does have the legal authority to redeem you, to redeem Ruth. And I have the resources as well to redeem. I will redeem Ruth and she will be mine. But this is not just an Old Testament story. This is not just an Old Testament picture. Listen to the love story of every Christian redeemed by Christ who is our kinsman redeemer. Let's see Jesus in the story of Ruth. You don't have to turn there, but you will see it on the screens behind me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Even as he, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God took the first step. He initiated that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, that's his desire for us. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's his authority. To the praise of his glorious grace. That's his his resource which he has blessed us. His desire for us in the beloved, in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, his resource, the forgiveness of our trespasses, Jesus' authority to do so according to the riches of his grace. What a resource which he has lavished upon us. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus seeks the outcast as his family. We were the ones who were in the land of judgment And let's be honest, we were rightly judged as arrogant, self-centered, self-sufficient rebels. We were enemies of God. And Jesus sought us to, to be his family. By his grace, Jesus makes his enemies his friends. Jesus also saves the outcast from harm. Christian, before Christ entered into our miserable lives, we were bound not just for hell, we were bound for emptiness and worthlessness and eternal separation from a loving God. Harm almost seems like a soft word. Jesus saved us from the fire, from devastation, from oblivion, from extinction. And like Boaz for Ruth, Christ has become our shield our very strong defense, our advocate. And Jesus hosts now the outcasts at his table. When we are in relationship with God through Christ, he invites us to pull a chair up to his table. And he gives us himself 
living water that we will never thirst again. He gives us himself, the bread of life. We will taste and we will never be hungry again. He calls us to the banqueting table. You see, Jesus, listen, has the desire to redeem. Driven by his loving kindness, driven by his lavishing grace, Jesus also has the authority to redeem because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him by the God of heaven and earth. And Jesus also has the resources to redeem his cross and his blood. You see, all three of those things had to be there. The desire and the authority and the resources. Had Jesus just had the desire and the authority, but not the resources, we would still be lost. If Jesus had the authority and the resources, but not the desire, we would still be lost. If Jesus had the resources and the desire, but not the authority, we would still be woefully lost. So today, we remember the resources. We remember the resources of the blood we remember the resources of the cross. If you would take the elements that are before you, that you have with you the bread and the cup. Let me ask you to carefully open up the bottom of, of the elements and take the bread out. And if you take that bread and hold it in between your fingers, Would you with me bow your head, bow your heart? Jesus, we hold this bread and we remember that not only did you have the desire to save us and the authority to save us, but you had the resources to save us through your body opened up for us that we might have a new and living way to God. We remember in the holding of this bread the grace that you lavished upon us. We remember the brutality of the cross. That by your own authority you laid your life down that we might be chosen by God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice. It's the name of Christ we pray. Let's eat together in remembrance of Jesus. And if you would carefully pull back the top of, of the juice, holding the cup firmly and firmly pulling back that tab, me please as we hold this cup we remember Jesus the resource of our salvation 
what we hold in our hand is a reminder to us of the currency that paid for our forgiveness, but also the currency that paid for life that would last forever. Unless the perfect lamb spilled out his blood for us, there would be no forgiveness of our sin, our ego, our rebellion. Jesus, we thank you that even in Boaz, we begin to see Christ, you are the perfect, most excellent kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, you're one of us. You put on flesh, you lived this life, you understand us, you get us. And yet you're also the redeemer, the only one who could clear our debt. The only one who could pay the price for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our rescue. The only one who could truly help the helpless. once more we praise you that by your own authority you laid your life down for us in Christ we remember and we pray amen would you drink with me please in remembrance of Christ Now would you stand with me? Let's sing to this kinsman redeemer, this wonderful Jesus, our advocate, our defense, our salvation.